Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is at war with the country's democratic institutions, a war which has seen the head of state so distrust in the country's voting system, and now he's turning his guns on the Supreme Court. Last week, he requested the impeachment of Supreme Court Justice Alexandre de Moraes, a bona fide conservative who oversees numerous cases which could directly impact the president and his allies. Hours before Bolsonaro lodged this impeachment request, Justice Moraes had greenlit a federal police operation against a group planning pro-Bolsonaro protests in Brasilia on September the 7th, along with concurrent demonstrations in other major cities. For members of the country's highest court, the demo scheduled for a little under two weeks' time is less of a political protest and more of a call to arms for a borderline insurrection. Já está tudo armado, o país vai parar. Tudo. Norte a sul, leste a oeste. Not only have participants promised to corner the Supreme Court and Congress, but they are set to have the backing of multiple leaders of state military police forces. In Brasilia, many fear this could be Brazil's own version of the January 6 riots, when a mob of far-right demonstrators stormed the Capitol building in the U.S., causing clashes that left five people killed. Given the scenario in Brazil, a similar movement could have much bloodier consequences. Sim, 30 dias eles não tirar aqueles caras, nós vamos invadir, quebrar tudo e tirar os caras na marra. Pronto. É isso que você quer saber? É assim que vai ser. Pronto. E a coisa tá séria. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor in chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Police officers in at least seven states have taken to social media to call their troops to join pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations scheduled for September the 7th. Meanwhile, state governors, who are the commanders-in-chief of military police forces, find themselves faced with a set of unappealing choices. Either they try to clamp down these demonstrations, which could fracture the troops, or they do nothing and lose control over them. Combined, Brazil's 27 state police forces have more troops than any Latin American army. Should President Jair Bolsonaro fulfill his threats of a power grab, there is a real fear that at least part of the police will back him up, raising the risks of unrest and chaos. This week, we welcome back Alex Hohuli, a political analyst and host of Alpha Bunga Bunga, a podcast on modern politics. Alex, good to have you back on the show. Before we get into the September the 7th protests and the stakes we're facing right now, I'd like to ask you to explain what Brazil military forces are and why they're so powerful. Yeah, so I mean, firstly, the military police has to be distinguished from federal police forces, which uh, are like the, the FBI, for example, in the US, uh, and other state fo police forces like the civil police, which uh, mainly carry out investigations. The military police are beat cops, are heavily armed, and as the name suggests, they're militarized, so they're organized as a military corporation, uh, similar to what uh, to an arm, to, to, to what the army is, for example. 
And there's 20, they're, they're organized at a state level. So there's 27 different military police forces, um, formerly under civilian command under the command of the governor of each state. Um, but they often have uh, kind of, they're not fully under control always of, uh, of the civilian leadership. Um, and they are obviously uh, very violent, have often been involved in, uh, you know, murders and are often uh, not held to account for that. The, the other thing to note about the military police forces is that the, the rank and file are very poorly paid, um, are often corrupt and they need to be to survive and are often targeted as well, of course, by criminal gangs. Uh, and so there's a kind of a state of war. And so they, their whole formation as, uh, as military police uh, is often very violent, very repressive, very brutal. Um, there's even movements within the military police to reform it or to demilitarize it. In fact, that's been often a demand um, from outside the, the military police by um, reformist and left-wing forces that the military police should be disbanded and should be turned into a civilian force um, so that it is no longer seen as a force that has to actively combat an internal enemy, whether that be ordinary citizens or um, those identified as criminals, um, and, be- and become more of a normal police force uh, whose job is to maintain order and not to engage in military combat with, with, with civilians effectively. Um, and so that's the kind of backdrop to what the military police is. Now, what it's doing now is that it was already very clear when, in 2018, as Bolsonaro uh, was going to be elected, that the military police was a sort of stronghold for him, that he spoke for the corporation's corporate interests in the same way that he did for the military, speaking for their uh, their interest in, in having better pay and conditions and things like that, um, but also defended their right to kill, effectively. He uh, tried to drive through the law, kind of... Um, guaranteeing even further impunity for the military police. It's important to note that there is almost already complete immunity for, for police forces who kill or police officers who kill. Um, they're very rarely brought to justice, and there's often collusion even with the civil police force, which is meant to investigate them um, by, for example, moving bodies after from, from where they've been killed so that they can't be investigated. So th- that context of already existing impunity is something that Bolsonaro wanted to intensify and to make uh, to make them even more basically be unable to be held to account by by the law. That's not only Bolsonaro, right? Because we saw governors of Rio de Janeiro and São Paulo, the two most populous states in the country, saying the police should shoot to kill and aim for the head of criminals. Of course, Bolsonaro may be taking this rhetoric to a new level, but he's certainly not the only one. This is prevalent in Brazilian politics, right? Well, exactly. Here, as elsewhere, Bolsonaro isn't an aberration. He's maybe only the most clownish or absurd or extreme embodiment of uh, what is already the, the normal workings of the Brazilian establishment and especially of, of the right wing of, of, of Brazilian politics. So as you say, he's not, uh, he, he might be um, more extreme in his pronouncements and in his full-throated defense of the kind of the forces of repression, both for the armed forces and for the police. But he's, again, he's not an aberration. Uh, he's very much in line with, with the general modus operandi of, um, of police forces and other kind of more center, let's say, those who pretend to be more center-right, like Jean Daudia himself has commanded the military police force and overseeing heavy-handed repression, for example. So there's nothing new here. And what makes the military police so impenetrable to civil control? 
It is because there is a gulf between them and the political leaders. Governors are commanders-in-chief on paper, but they don't have that much influence over the troops. Well, I think it's partly their formation. And there's some recent kind of more ideological turns, which I guess we'll come to, uh, to talk about in just a second. But they are formed to be, as I said, at war, on a war footing with uh, population, with a population effective or with sections of the population who are deemed, uh, you know, targets effectively. And they often feel that the, that the police, that the politicians, you know, maybe don't fully support them. And in fact, from the rank and file military police, that's understandable because they're paid very poorly and are, and face very difficult conditions are brutalized by their own commanders and their commanders are often parachuted in. So maybe we'll have gone to university and are parachuted in to be commanders, whereas the rank and file have very little chance of, accept, of ascension up the ranks. So once you're a military police officer, you have to kind of scramble to make ends meet. You might have to be engaged in some graft and corruption uh, to, you know, to be able to support your family. And so these are quite brutalized conditions, which, you know, reformers are often very critical of because it creates this sense of, of separateness and maybe abandoned by the civilian, civilian forces. Um, you know, I think something like that, a commander will earn 15 times the, uh, what a, what a rank and file officer earns. Um, and so there's, there's a kind of a, probably a, a kind of pool of resentment there within the military police. But then what has happened more recently is that Bolsonaro has been able to, um, become a spokesman for them. He's often held rallies with the military police and the military police in turn have become more openly uh, Bolsonarista than they were before. And this is something it's important to note that individual police officers always have rights as individual citizens, but they're not, so they can go and vote, for example, but they're not allowed to take part in political demonstrations and they're not allowed to manifest themselves politically, ideologically in any way, um, and certainly aren't able to for example, call for a demonstration against democracy in favor of a coup. They also can't go on strike. But while they are illegal, we have seen a growing number of mutinies across Brazil in recent years. According to one estimate, over 700 between 1997 and 2017. And in 2017, the state of Espírito Santo saw 143 murders over just nine days, when law enforcement went on strike. And last year in Ceará, another strike saw 200 violent deaths in just six days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been uh, that sense of impunity that I was talking about in terms of them not being held to account for, for example, carrying out brutality and, and, and killing citizens uh, and lo- unlawful killings. Uh, there's also a sense of impunity, I guess, with regard to civilian forces. There's a sense that they are the law um, and that that, it, that they're not being um, properly you know, cared for by, by civilian authorities. So there, there's a backdrop, as I said, of uh, low wages and so on. Um, and, but the reason that these strikes are called mutinies is that they often are mutinies. Uh, they're often lower, uh, lower ranking officers and rank and file policemen taking part. Now, these have mainly been, obviously, at, in the cases that you cited, all at the state level. Um, and it's unclear how much coordination there is uh, across state lines between these police forces. Altogether, they number, they're the largest body of armed men in South America. They, they number, th- their numbers are larger than the, than the armed forces altogether, which is quite impressive. Um, and it gives you a sense of the, of, of the weight of, of this. But uh, it's unclear, um, and there isn't really any clear evidence so far, of them, there being coordination and planning across state lines. 
there's another thing that I should say is that there's a there's a, a blurring of the lines between um, kind of labor and corporate interests on the one hand, for example, uh, policemen striking for higher wages uh, and more political action, um, whether that be in support of a coup or for even maybe greater autonomy uh, for the police as a body. And so it, it's not entirely clear with, with these cases that you've cited and what we're looking at today and looking forward to the 7th of September um, protests, what um, what kind of predominates there, whether it's uh, police acting in defense of their corporate interests, something that Bolsonaro has always defended, or whether there's kind of bigger political ideological ambitions there. Now, the presence of the police has political stakeholders in Brasilia worried about a local version of the U.S. Capitol riots. And as we mentioned, it remains highly unpredictable what will happen. But what are the stakes here? Well, I think it might be worth spelling out kind of who the players are here. Obviously, you have Bolsonaro himself and um, him trying to basically, seeming wanting to follow a sort of U.S. script. Um, he's obviously been close to Steve Bannon, someone whose influence is often overstated. But I think in the Brazilian case and of the Brazilian far right, they're very orientated to the United States. And so uh, I think there is some conception of following that that script, which is already established on, on January 6th in the U.S., I think just to um, avoid any confusion, we should be clear about what January 6th was in the U.S. before making any comparisons. 1776! You're afraid of that, Guess what? America showed up! In the U.S., uh, that event on January 6th was grossly overstated um, after, after the fact. The FBI has recently said that it's found no evidence of any central planning or organization for a plot amongst the vast majority of participants. Maybe only a couple of militia groups were more organized, like, for example, the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers. Um, but there, even there, there was a plan maybe to break into the Capitol building, but no plan on what to do once they were in there. Uh, it's notable also that no one's been charged with uh, seditious conspiracy um, or defendants haven't been accused of having of trying to overthrow the government. Um, and, you know, for all that they just talk about, there were five deaths on that day. In fact, most of them were due to nat natural causes. And in fact, only one death was, uh, was in fact, um, from violent means. And that was a, a, a pro-Trump protester who was shot by police. So I think there's a lot of um, talking up of January the 6th as this big traumatic event when actually it was just a little bit of a kerfuffle and there was no serious threat to overthrow the government um, and no real intention perhaps even from the part of the protesters, uh, much less any possibility that it would actually happen, precisely because the American forces of repression, the police, the deep state, as well as uh, all, you know, all of Congress and uh, the justices and all the rest of the whole political system were against those uh, Trump, pro-Trump demonstrators. The case in Brazil is very different, obviously. One, uh, democracy is uh, more fragile. Uh, and especially those forces of repression, uh, we don't know exactly what their play would be. So the fact that uh, active police uh, leadership and not just kind of lower uh, kind of junior officers, but quite senior officers are openly calling um, for uh, participation in this protest, uh, saying that, you know, um, liberals can't guarantee our safety, our freedom. What we need to do is take it. What we need is a tank. 
uh, and not an ice cream cart, uh, which was uh, a strange turn of phrase, but it's quite clear what the implication is there, um, that force will be necessary. And that's obviously very concerning that the leadership is okay with um, putting out these anti-democratic ideas, even if they uh, aren't going to act on it, it's still very, it, it shows a kind of tipping of the scales uh, in, in their direction. Now, what will actually happen? Well, the, the, so the plan is, uh, at least the intention of uh, Bolsonaristas is to have 2 million people there on the 7th of September. Of course, that's probably overstated in terms of the numbers. Um, but there's also an encampment plan for 10,000 people to stay there for a month, and that's all being funded by um, some major players in agribusiness. Uh, it's, uh, there was reporting um, that by The Intercept showing that uh, one of the biggest soy producers in the state of Minas Gerais and the president of the Soy Producers Association is a big backer of these protests and is funding uh, the, the the camp. So there's obviously uh, kind of big money behind this. And if I can jump in quickly, uh, a state lawmaker in Sao Paulo claimed on Tuesday that the military police officers around the Sao Paulo state have hired 50 buses to take troops to demonstrations in the state capital. Yeah, exactly. So there's clearly evidence that some police are organizing. It, it doesn't. It's not entirely clear if it's on a mass scale, how many units there are, whether the leadership is, is driving it or whether it's kind of on the initiative of, uh, of junior officers and rank and file. Um, but there clearly is uh, going to be a police presence. So I think a lot of the questions being asked about what will happen then, because there's also going to be left-wing demonstrations at the same time, uh, and the police is supposedly tasked with keeping them separate. Um, the question is whether not only will the police maybe just stand by um, and that there might be individual officers participating, um, but that they might actually lead some sort of coup attempt. Now, I think that will happen on the 7th of September. Uh, it might happen upon Bolsonaro losing the election uh, if that comes to pass in 2022. Um, but before we kind of start thinking about those future scenarios, what might be happen on, on uh, the 7th of September might be uh, a big mess, to say the least, and could be very violent. Uh, it's not entirely clear how that how that kind of plays out at this stage. Uh, but the presence of uh, police, whether whether they're on active duty and they therefore might not fulfill you know their policing responsibilities, uh, which of course is nothing new. They've often been um, you know brutalized uh, left wing protesters. That's nothing new. But also that they might be actively complicit in allowing uh, right wing protesters to then attack. And President Jair Bolsonaro said he will participate in demonstrations in Brasilia and São Paulo. What changes with his presence? Well, I, I think one important backdrop to this, and one thing that kind of seems to have changed with Bolsonaro's rhetoric, is that Bolsonaro recently hasn't been so much targeting communists or the left or uh, human rights, but has been turning his guns on institutions, on the Supreme Court, the Supreme Electoral Court, uh, the uh, Senate Hearings Committee on, on his mishandling of COVID. It's all been very kind of institutionally focused. And what struck me about it is how little it implicates the majority of Brazilians. Uh, it's, this is all being a drama being played out between uh, conservative justices. Uh, the, the justice who uh, Bolsonaro is trying to get impeached uh, is a conservative himself. So it's not exactly like uh, something that's being played out uh, between opposed uh, ideological forces. So, you know, you've got conservative justices on one hand, a conservative Congress who's now largely in Bolsonaro's pocket, um, or to the, to, you could argue that uh, he is in their pocket. Um, and then you have a far-right president, the military brass, who we don't know exactly how they will uh, how they will play, 
And then you've got the activist base of the president's, um, the activist core of the president's base in the population. But the president's base in the population is maybe 25%, and we're only talking about the activist core. So there's this there's a certain oddity to it that um, both politically this is all happening on the right. It's the far-right Bolsonaro attacking other right-wing um, justices or, or politicians or institutions, and uh, at the same time, also, it doesn't really implicate the majority of, of, uh, of the population. So he's not, in contrast to, for example, if we were to take a, a, an old example of the 1964 coup in Brazil, there there was a lot of playing to, uh, you know, the silent majority or the moral majority, um, which uh, was being threatened by, you know, these communist infiltrators. Here, the kind of logic seems to be almost reversed. So you've got, you don't have Bolsonaro speaking for a kind of moral majority, but he seems to be an embattled minority. Uh, you know, he claims that the establishment want to bring Lula back. So the establishment is in uh, in alignment with the left, you know, according to Bolsonaro's uh, vision and according to his rhetoric. Um, and so it's not that he's a defender of the force of order and freedom against these insurgent leftists, but actually it seems more like He's portraying himself as the insurgent, and he's being squished by uh, by and then oppressed by the establishment. So it's a, it's an odd sort of I- inversion of uh, of the of this kind of uh, far right rhetoric, and so there's something kind of strange happening there. And the weird thing is that he's doing everything almost completely unchecked. The Supreme Court did start countering him with multiple investigations, which could make Bolsonaro ineligible for office. But Bolsonaro seems willing to test how far the justices are willing to go. Yeah, I, I think that's the, I mean, Bolsonaro's intent is obviously to force a confrontation. Uh, he doesn't obviously have popular support to mount a coup out of nothing. Um, so it, it's very much a kind of, as I've been trying to portray, a kind of sort of a, a internal uh, internal battle among the right and within the within kind of the institutions. I mean, it's all something that's happening in Brasilia. It's not a drama that's being played out on the streets of Brazilian cities. Uh, of course, Bolsonaro's participation in the protest will be an attempt to do that, but we'll see what kind of numbers uh, they actually drum up uh, and whether they're larger than the anti-Bolsonaro protests that have been held. Uh, as far as the kind of the the conflict between Bolsonaro and the institutions goes, of course, Bolsonaro wants to drive that confrontation. And I think a lot of the institutions don't want to see exactly uh, how far that will go. I think it's also notable that the, that the institutions, particularly the Supreme Court, seem more interested in uh, defending its sense of prestige and honor rather than uh, taking Bolsonaro down for some of the greater social crimes that he's committed. I mean, if we think of him deliberately not purchasing vaccines uh, which might have saved, you know, 100,000 lives, uh, those, that seems to be of less kind of interest and concern than his, his seeming lack of respect for, for, for the other institutions. So I don't, I don't exactly know how far they're willing to go um, in, in clamping him down, in clamping down on him and holding, to, holding him to account. I think there's a, it seems to me that they would be happy if he would just go away, that they could just keep the show on the road until the 2022 election, and then he would lose, and then they wouldn't have to actually act. Uh, because I think there's a certain fear of what might happen if by by, by um, basically taking Bolsonaro's bait and um, and and responding, uh, you know, with, with effective action against what Bolsonaro has been saying and doing. 
I mean, I don't think there's going to be a serious coup attempt, but there will possibly be a, 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 there's the poss- strong possibility of some serious chaos and violence. Uh, so if there's conflict among between protesters or that, you know, the pro Bolsonaro protesters attack left wing demonstrators, uh, or perhaps here may be a, some sense of repeat of, of the January 6th scenes in the United States where there's an invasion of, uh, of the, of the buildings um, of, you know, of Congress or the Supreme Court. And the question there is that, you know, you think maybe the military don't want to mount a coup. The military wouldn't follow Bolsonaro along with mounting a, you know, so-called auto coup. But will the military be willing to repress the police if the police are involved uh, in these sorts of actions? That, I think, is, is really unclear. So, I mean, I don't think that, you know, Brazilian democracy is going to end. Brazilian democracy, such as it as it is, uh, will end on on the seventh of September. But uh, there, it, it could be quite a chaotic and potentially violent uh, scenes there in, in, in Brasilia. And when it comes to September the seventh, what is your biggest concern about how this could all play out? Yeah, I, I think the one thing to bear in mind is that the Ralph Bolsonaro's period in office is that he has governed through crisis and has tried to generate chaos wherever possible, but there is no real plan for government. The plan is uh, to put in, to put in action the sort of anti-politics that he was elected on, which is to say to sow distrust in democracy and to wear it down. So there's not even any rhetoric about why a dictatorship is good, because I think that there is no widespread public support for that. So this is not a context in which there would be mass support for a pro, for a Bolsonaro-led coup uh, or support for uh, dictatorship, but there's less and less support for democracy at the same time. And so Bolsonaro's role, his function, is to wear down democracy as much as possible to create confusion, create the sense that there needs to be decisive action against uh, against dem- democratic institutions. And so I would imagine that September 7th would be uh, another part of that and another like, uh, piece in the, in the jigsaw puzzle there in, in trying to create more chaos, more sense of crisis. Alex Hohili is a political analyst and host of Alpha Bunga Bunga, a podcast on modern politics. If you like Explaining Brazil, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second, and it will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week, without the need to insert any credit card information whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week.